I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And uh, we've been talking about these seven words, John chapter 6. I'll invite you to stand with me as we receive this word together. Would, would, would you pray this prayer with me? Lord, this is your word to me today. May it be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Help me to hide this word in my heart that I might not sin against you. May I pray it in, read it through, live it out, and pass it on. Amen. Beginning here with John chapter 6, verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. May God add his blessing to that word. You can be seated. As I mentioned, we've been sharing together on these seven words that I think have the capacity to change your life. And this morning, I want us to think about the word thanks. Thanks. Of course, it's one of those early words that we use to teach our children. We, we want them to say the word thanks because thanks is polite. Thanks is proper. It's necessary when certain acts of kindness have been directed toward us that we say thanks. But maybe thanks is the door to really something deeper and more beautiful than just politeness and obligation. Recently, uh, last week, I was listening to an interview of a young Ukrainian lady who had just escaped uh, Mariupol, where that city has been bombed and bombed over again. It's barely standing, as many of you know. This young fam uh, woman had her family, her mom, her dad, and her cat. But you realize, as you're listening to her, that her way of life, her home, her job, her community, her city, her freedom, her future, in many ways, was gone. She had lost many friends. And yet, as I listened to that interview, I was amazed at her attitude. She said, you know, I have my legs and arms. I have my family. I have my cat. I am just so grateful. 
As I was listening to her, I couldn't help but begin to put myself in her shoes and wonder what I would do. And I, I, I honestly think I would be so overwhelmed with the heaviness and the despair that I'm not sure I would have had that attitude. I would have had so many, many questions. Why, God? Why me? Why this city? Why, God, did you spare the cat? Those kinds of things. In 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul writes to some relatively new Christians, and he is realizing that they're going to be facing persecution, and he wants them to know as new Christians what it's like to live life with God. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. That means when, when you lose your job, when your best friend dies, when you can't afford that vacation, when you don't like who is running the country, when you, and you can fill in the blank. In all circumstances, give thanks. Why, Paul says? Because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, that word will in the Greek is the word thela, which, which is understood as God's best offer to people. And by the way, that means that it can be accepted or rejected. Essentially, what Paul is telling this community is that there are two ways that you can choose to live. There is the way of thanks, uh, and this is God's will, this is God's best, the life you were created to live, or there's a way of ingratitude. And that way will lead you further from God. And so what we discover is this secret. Saying thanks can change your life by drawing you closer to God. You know, I started thinking about this recently, and I realized how often Jesus used thanks as an expression. What's interesting to me in our day of course, we reserve gratitude as an expression exclusively used when a person experiences exceedingly good fortune. Uh, when a professional athlete wins a big game, she gives thanks. When someone wins an Oscar, at least when they aren't slapping someone, he gives thanks. I think uh, of some of the biggest moments of gratitude in my own life when I received the call to pastor this church a few years back, I gave thanks. When my children were born, healthy, beautiful, I gave thanks. When they are independent and can pay their own bills, I will give thanks. For the majority of us, isn't it true that gratitude is something we experience as a result of reality, of really, really good circumstances? But what's amazing is if you think about it, if you look at the life of Jesus, what you're going to find is you'll notice that he gave thanks in some of the most unlikely moments. Consider this. On the night before his crucifixion, Jesus knew what was ahead. He knew he was going to endure the cross and all the pain and the suffering of the weight of sin that would be laid upon him. He knew that he would face the most brutal of deaths and separation from the very presence of his loving father. Yet that night, 
he gathers around the table with his disciples and he takes bread and the Bible says he gave thanks and broke it. Even though he knew the bread represented his soon-to-be broken body, the night before his body was lacerated, nailed to a tree, pierced, bloodied, he gave thanks. When Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend, we're told that he had been dead for four days, and we know that Jesus was so moved by that moment that the Bible tells us he wept. So Jesus is experiencing in that moment the pain of loss. And of course, when, when we look at funerals, and, and I do funerals, I often focus on that passage that says Jesus wept. He knew about the heartache of that moment, but there is something else that happens that none of us would expect. He prays, and the first words out of his mouth are these. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. In the midst of this painful loss, thanks. It's almost puzzling, really. Some of you might be familiar with the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I've referred to him many times over the years. And Bonhoeffer, of course, was a German pastor, who, uh, a theologian who lived during the time of the Nazi, uh, Nazi Germany. And of course, he strongly opposed uh, the atrocities that were being committed by committed against the Jews. And he, of course, uh, was against the German nationalism that tried to supersede faith in Christ. In 1943, Bonhoeffer was arrested for his involvement in a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. He spent the next year and a half in prison before he was being transferred to a concentration camp where he would soon after be executed. But it's, no, uh, it's interesting to me that it was in prison that Bonhoeffer, in effect, wrote most of, some of his most profound statements. One such reflection included this line. He said, it is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. Now, if you think about what the reality is for him, that's a staggering thought. Here he is, the world is in war. He is in isolation. He's often hungry. There's uncertainty. There's deep grievance about not only the state of the world, but, but what has happened to his own country and often to the church itself. And still, he says, the avenue for life is to give thanks Still, life held for him a richness and a joy that few on the outside looking in could understand or make sense of. My point this morning is for Christians, thanks isn't just a proper word to be used at, at some proper time. It's not a word of obligation. It is to shape us. It is to shape us for life, life enrichment, a daily spoken word that, that binds us to a loving God in such a way that regardless of the circumstances, we can say, this is the good life. This is the rich life. This is God's best life right here, right now. Thanks. And so I ask you this morning, do you feel rich today? Are you living in such a, 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 a fervor and a moment where regardless of the circumstances around you, that you experience such a deep satisfaction with, with whatever's going on that you still stand on unshakable ground 
And so we see the encouragement of Paul and the example of Jesus and the testimony of Bonhoeffer. They all point to the same direction, toward the truth that the level of richness in our life has everything to do with how we express one word, thanks, all the time. Thanks. Now in John 6, we read that Jesus has crossed the Sea of Galilee and has gone up to a hillside. And of course, he's with his disciples, and we learn that the large crowd is following after him. John tells us that Jesus sees this big crowd, and he turns toward Philip and asks him this question, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, if you think about it, it would make sense that Jesus would ask Philip because in Luke's account, we learn that this happened in the area of Bethsaida. And of course, what we learn in Luke, what we know is that, that Philip himself was from that area, Bethsaida. So, so Philip is the one who's familiar with the area. He knows where the Chick-fil-A is. He knows where Giant Eagle is. And so he's seemingly the best idea here at finding food. But of course, Philip is looking at this and he's caught off guard he knows that Jesus is giving him an absolutely impossible situation. And I want to just take a moment here and help us think about something because church, the reality is we have been given an impossible situation too. Jesus tells our church, this church, North Olmstead Friends Church, to go and make disciples. Spread the gospel not just in our little area, but he commissions all of us, in fact, to make disciples where? In your Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Give the masses the good news. Feed them the gospel message so that they might have life. And sometimes, if we're honest, that task can be overwhelming. It seems impossible. How can our little church do that kind of thing? So many, and look at what Philip says, this is how we respond. Well, we don't have enough money. He says, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to just have a bite. And so Philip, upon looking at this circumstance, his mind immediately goes to thinking about what they lack. And, and if you're like me, I'm not going to get too hard on Philip because Jesus has given him an almost comical situation. Of course, they don't have enough money. They don't have enough money to buy food even to give them a morsel, never mind a meal. Besides the fact there is no restaurant that's going to be able to handle this crowd. And so Philip does what you and I would most likely do. He looks at the numbers, and it doesn't take him long to figure it out. Jesus, this is silly. It doesn't make sense. You see, Philip was living in a world of scarcity. And in fact, that scarcity hit him in the face every day he woke up because he lived in a world where 70% at least of the people that were around him lived just at the edge of poverty every day. And yet, Jesus, you want us to figure out how to feed thousands and thousands of people? Jesus, if we even tried to borrow the money, we would be forever in debt. This, is, this can't happen. Wednesday night, just after or around the table, 
I got an alert on my credit card uh, through, the, through the phone asking me if I had made a recent purchase at Foot Locker. Now, I don't know if I've ever been in a Foot Locker. I, I usually get my shoes at Walmart or Sears. That's kind of my style. So, so I, uh, I, I texted the family and said, hey, has anyone been to Foot Locker? And everybody said, no, no, no. So I got online and I noticed some other purchases. I saw a purchase for $330 at Nordstrom's. Well, I don't think I've ever been in the Nordstrom's either. I can't afford to breathe the air in Nordstrom's. What are you talking about? And two pizza joints, Nacho Pizza and Pizza Hut. Now that could have been me. But it wasn't. But suddenly I realized somebody's having a whole lot more fun with my credit card than I'm having. And Philip saying, listen, we, we can't do this. We can't afford this. You have to be shrewd in this economy of lack. You have to be careful. You've got to hold your card close, Jesus. But Andrew overhears this conversation. Now, I love Andrew here. Andrew is a special figure in the New Testament. But here his eyes have been opened, and Andrew reads this situation a bit differently. Same circumstances, but Andrew sees something different. Andrew exclaims, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? Now, I would just point out, you already have a miracle here, don't you? You have a young teenage boy who's willing to share his lunch, and to me, <laughs> that is evidence that God is up to something amazing. And I just want to say this, you know, I, I look at this conversation we've been having with Peace Mennonite Church, a church of another denomination. This doesn't happen. This is very unusual. And essentially, they are giving us what they have. Ten acres, a nice and well-maintained building, operating funds, Maybe God is up to something. And yes, the honest question is, how far will this go among so many? But I want you to notice the difference between Philip and Andrew. Where Philip sees want, Andrew is seeing wonder. Now, now let's be honest, he's asking a good question. But there's a part of him that is willing to see what God can do. That God can, can do more than he can. And so he looks at this very normal lunch, but he thinks of the potential. He looks at that very meager meal and he sees the possibility. And, and we have to ask the question, in what way are we more likely to see the world this morning? And I know the truth is about me. The truth is, I am much more susceptible to Philip's temptation. Oftentimes, we default to want instead of embracing the wonder of the moment. We see the lack of potential instead of giving thanks for the provision. Now, 
If you look at human history, this has happened before. <laughs> Think about Adam and Eve. There they are in the garden. Instead of basking in the wonder that God had created and all the things that he had given them in that garden, they concentrated on that one thing they didn't have. They, they could not eat from the tree, but it was the one tree that obsessed them, the one tree they desired. And instead of giving God thanks for so much, they threw it all away because they felt they lacked one thing. And so my invitation this morning to all of us is for us to look around and consider all the blessings that God has poured out and be awed by the goodness of things that we often take for granted. And may we be inspired with wonder and awe as we consider what God has already given us. Now, this meal was an ordinary meal. The bread is the cheapest of breads. It was barley, for goodness sake. This isn't a croissant. It's not a baguette. John tells us that the fish are small. Basically, these are sardines, pickled most likely to preserve them. This isn't a feast, but the meal of a poor boy. But nonetheless, Andrew wondered if this was God's answer to the, to the problem. G.K. Chesterton made this observation. He said, the world will never starve for want of wonders, but only for want of wonder. Now, now, you may have to read that a couple of times, but I want you to think about it. In other words, he was saying, it's not reality that's the problem. It's often our inability to notice, to be awed, to be wowed, to have humility needed to open ourselves up to the reality that God would use something outside of us and outside of our own efforts to just bless us. Wonder is the means by which we open ourselves up to receive from God. And so wonder becomes the doorway to gratitude. Did you realize that you woke up in a world today that you did not create? Every breath is a gift. Your heart beats and you don't think about it one iota. You have the blessing of sight, of taste, being able to move, being able to come to church. Wonder allows us to see the world differently. John continues, Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And so you see the picture. Jesus takes those ordinary loaves and these unimpressive little fish and he gives thanks for them. You know, it's kind of funny as I was thinking about that moment, I guess... If I put myself in Jesus' shoes, I likely would have waited to give thanks until I was sure that there was going to be enough for everybody. 
I, I wouldn't want to be embarrassed. I would have been working on my speech about, sorry, folks, there just isn't enough. That's what I would have done. But that's not how Jesus does it. I would have waited until the cancer is cured. I would have waited till my child was healed. I would have waited until the world was fed or my broken heart was mended, until the church was full, until the bills were all paid. Then I would say thanks. But notice here, Jesus gives thanks to the Father first. And he breaks the bread and he begins passing it around. And can't you see the crowd stretching their necks to see what's going on? They're wondering, partly in wonder and partly with self-interest, is there going to be enough for me? It's been a long day. They're hungry, I'm sure. But of course, the most incredible thing happens there, doesn't it? They're, the bread there doesn't run out. It means that some who take some, well, there seems to be even more <laughs> and more and more. And I wonder if there weren't a couple of people in that crowd who maybe remember what John the Baptist had said about Jesus as they heard John the Baptist who echoed these words in John chapter 1, for from his fullness we have all received grace after grace. In fact, I, I love how Eugene Peterson translates that. He says, we all live off his generous bounty, gift after gift. This church years ago, uh, when I was a brand new pastor, I was introduced to a new hymn that I was surprised to find, and I didn't know it, but I began to love it when I heard it. It was called, He Giveth More Grace. Some of you don't know that, but there was one line at the end of the song that says, He giveth and giveth and giveth again. He just keeps giving. That's God's heart. For God so loved the world, He gave. That's who He is, that's His essence. You see, what, what Jesus knows is that all wonder leads us to God. All gifts lead us to the giver of those gifts. And so the reason we are invited like Jesus to live in this continual thanks is because God is unlike any other giver. There is no end to what he gives. And so the reason Jesus gives thanks before he distributes the bread is because Jesus knows that whatever the circumstances may be, the generosity, the abundance of God can never be extinguished. There, there's never a point when human need is greater than the goodness and generosity and grace of God. And so Virginia Owens wrote these words. She said, Thanksgiving is not the result of perception. Thanksgiving is the access to perception. Now, let me unpack that for you. In other words, what she is saying there is, Thanksgiving is not merely a way of living out positive thinking and psychology, always thinking that the, the, the glass is half full. No. 
But when we wonder, when we are in awe, it moves us to thanks. We actually learn to live in an entirely different paradigm. We live in a, an entirely different kingdom. A kingdom of plenty, a kingdom of great abundance, a kingdom where the giving never runs out. That's the kingdom we live in. And on that day, on that hillside, Jesus uses the bread and these fish to make a statement about what his kingdom looks like. He is the king, and he's good. He's a giver. Grace upon grace, gift upon gift. With Jesus, there is always more. And here's the thing. The more we live in wonder, the more we live in awe, the more we live there, we live with that one word, thanks, the better we know the kingdom. And the more we know the king, And so I don't think it's an accident that Jesus, in the middle of this chapter in John 6, says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Did you notice that Jesus doesn't give us barley bread? He gives us so much more. Maybe that's why he taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Because he is the bread. And that's why we give thanks. Because he gives us himself. Gift upon gift upon gift. He endures the cross so that you can live church we can give him thanks today he's given us himself will you pray with me father it is such a privilege to see the truth of your word come alive. To know that there was much more going on in that moment than feeding a hungry crowd with a few morsels of bread and meat. But Lord, you were giving us a sign of your kingdom. You were giving us a testimony of our king. And Father, when we consider that today we can have that bread, that you freely give us yourself, that you will hold nothing back, nothing good from your people. So Lord, teach us how to live in thanks. Teach us how to live in wonder and awe and celebrate, Lord, your provision. May we, Lord, tend to be more like Andrew than we are like Philip. And may you give us eyes to see, even today, Lord, just how good you are. I pray this because of all that you are and all that you've done 
proven by the cross, the resurrection, and the gift of your Holy Spirit. We say thanks as your church. Amen.